Hi, and welcome to Fado, an audio adventure into fantasy, folklore, and fairy tales. I'm John, your host, and thanks for dropping in. All right, I have one more little Lovecraft story for you before we start into the end of the month and head toward Halloween. This relatively short story, even for Lovecraft, is called The Terrible Old Man. I was browsing Lovecraft's work, and this one stuck with me a little bit for a couple of reasons. But of course, I'll talk to you more about it after the story, as well as talk a bit about some other fun things that I have coming up for you. So, I'll meet you there. And now, as written by H.P. Lovecraft in 1920, and first published in The Tryout in 1921, The Terrible Old Man. It was the design of Angelo Ricci and Joe Chanick and Manuel Silva to call on the terrible old man. This old man dwells all alone in a very ancient house on Water Street near the sea, and is reputed to be both exceedingly rich and exceedingly feeble, which forms a situation very attractive to men of the profession of Messrs. Ricci, Chanick, and Silva for that profession was nothing less dignified than robbery. The inhabitants of Kingsport say and think many things about the terrible old man which generally keep him safe from the attention of gentlemen like Mr. Ricci and his colleagues, despite the almost certain fact that he hides a fortune of indefinite magnitude somewhere about his musty and venerable abode. He is, in truth, a very strange person, believed to have been a captain of East India clipper ships in his day, and so old that no one can remember when he was young, and so taciturn that few know his real name. Among the gnarled trees in the front yard of his aged and neglected place, he maintains a strange collection of large stones, oddly grouped and painted so that they resemble the idols in some obscure eastern temple. This collection frightens away most of the small boys who love to taunt the terrible old man about his long white hair and beard, or to break the small paned windows of his dwelling with wicked missiles. But there are other things which frighten the older and more curious folk who sometimes steal up to the house to peer in through the dusty panes. These folks say that on a table in a bare room on the ground floor are many peculiar bottles— in each a small piece of lead suspended pendulum-wise from a string. And they say that the terrible old man talks to these bottles, addressing them by such names as Jack, Scarface, Long Tom, Spanish Joe, Peters, and Mate Ellis. And that whenever he speaks to a bottle, the little lead pendulum within makes certain definite vibrations as if in answer. Those who have watched the tall, lean, terrible old man in these peculiar conversations do not watch him again. But Angelo Ricci and Joe Chanick and Manuel Silva were not of Kingsport blood. They were of that new and heterogeneous alien stock which lies outside the charmed circle of New England life and traditions. And they saw in the terrible old man merely a tottering, almost helpless greybeard, who could not walk without the aid of his knotted cane, and whose thin, weak hands shook pitifully. They were really quite sorry in their way for the lonely, unpopular fellow whom everybody shunned, and at whom all the dogs barked singularly. 
But business is business, and to a robber whose soul is in his profession, there is a lure and a challenge about a very old and feeble man who has no account at the bank, and who pays for his few necessities at the village store with Spanish gold and silver minted two centuries ago. Messrs. Ricci, Chanak, and Silva selected the night of April 11th for their call. Mr. Ricci and Mr. Silva were to interview the poor old gentleman, whilst Mr. Chanak waited for them and their presumable metallic burden with a covered motor-car in Ship Street, by the gate in the tall rear wall of their host's grounds. Desire to avoid needless explanations in case of unexpected police intrusions prompted these plans for a quiet and unostentatious departure. As prearranged, the three adventurers started out separately in order to prevent any evil-minded suspicions afterward. Messrs. Ricci and Silva met in Water Street by the old man's front gate, and although they did not like the way the moon shone down upon the painted stones through the budding branches of the gnarled trees— they had more important things to think about than mere idle superstition. They feared it might be unpleasant work making the terrible old man loquacious concerning his hoarded gold and silver, for aged sea captains are notably stubborn and perverse. Still, he was very old and very feeble, and there were two visitors. Messrs. Ricci and Silva were experienced in the art of making unwilling persons voluble and the screams of a weak and exceptionally venerable man can be easily muffled. So they moved up to the one lighted window and heard the terrible old man talking childishly to his bottles with pendulums. Then they donned masks and knocked politely at the weather-stained oaken door. Waiting seemed very long to Mr. Chanak, as he fidgeted restlessly in the covered motor-car by the terrible old man's back gate in Ship Street, he was more than ordinarily tender-hearted, and he did not like the hideous screams that he had heard in the ancient house just after the hour appointed for the deed. Had he not told his colleagues to be as gentle as possible with the pathetic old sea-captain? Very nervously he watched that narrow oaken gate in the high and ivy-clad stone wall. Frequently he consulted his watch and wondered at the delay— had the old man died before revealing where his treasure was hidden? And had a thorough search become necessary? Mr. Chanak did not like to wait so long in the dark in such a place. Then he sensed a soft tread or tapping on the walk inside the gate, heard a gentle fumbling at the rusty latch, and saw the narrow, heavy door swing inward. And in the pallid glow of the single dim street lamp, he strained his eyes to see what his colleagues had brought out of that sinister house which loomed so close behind. But when he looked, he did not see what he had expected, for his colleagues were not there at all, but only the terrible old man, leaning quietly on his knotted cane and smiling hideously. Mr. Chanak had never before noticed the color of the man's eyes— now he saw that they were yellow. Little things make considerable excitement in little towns, which is the reason that Kingsport people talked all that spring and summer about the three unidentifiable bodies, horribly slashed as with many cutlasses, and horribly mangled as by the tread of many cruel boot heels, 
which the tide washed in. And some people even spoke of things as trivial as the deserted motor car found in Ship Street, or certain, especially inhuman cries, probably of a stray animal or migratory bird, heard in the night by wakeful citizens. But in this idle village gossip the terrible old man took no interest at all. He was, by nature, reserved and when one is aged and feeble, one's reserve is doubly strong. Besides, so ancient a sea-captain must have witnessed scores of things, much more stirring in the far-off days of his unremembered youth. All right, so I chose this story for a couple of reasons. The first being that this is the first of Lovecraft's stories to be set in his version of New England that would become the backdrop of so many of his stories. What we see here is an introduction to what we call the Cthulhu mythos, and I think it functions really well that way. What we see is this mysterious old man with some kind of strange power that he picked up somewhere on his travels as a sailor. We know that the world has some strange things in it, and we know that it's not to be trifled with. But the world, as presented in this story, is still pretty small. Three robbers have an ironclad plan, but they cross the wrong weathered old sea captain, who has seen way too much and brought some of it home with him. He's not your average human, even if he is still human if he ever was human. For me, this kind of story is one of my favorites. It leaves more unsaid than said, and it just lets you wonder. The second reason I like this story is because in Lovecraft, as you've heard, there are two possibilities when you learn the truth of the cosmos. You either go completely mad, or you die trying. But this old man in the story seems to have managed a third option. Now, you can argue that he's probably quite insane, but he seems a little too collected for that. He certainly hasn't died, and in fact, he seems to be doing his share of the killing. I think what I find interesting is that this old sailor has managed to come face to face with the vast, terrible truths of Lovecraft's universe, and found a comfortable niche in which to exist. And woe be to the one who threatens that comfort. In looking for information on this story, I found some interesting facts. First of all, the terrible old man shows up in at least one other story, entitled The Strange High House in the Mist. And second, Brown University has an extensive collection of scans of H.P. Lovecraft's original work, including The Terrible Old Man. I was fascinated to see the work in Lovecraft's own handwriting. They have some of his correspondences as well, and it's a remarkable way to spend a few minutes if you're inclined. Now, I have a few other Lovecraft stories recorded, but I think maybe we'll take leave of him for now. That's not to say we won't get to more of his brand of terror another time, but for now, let's let sleeping gods lie. Now, before I wrap up this episode... I want to let you in on something fun that's coming down the pike. I've managed to get in touch with another podcast based in Texas called Jollyville Radio, and we've been talking a bit about collaboration on each other's shows. 
I recorded a station break for their show a few days ago, and it's already up on their latest episode entitled Dreaming Meat. Now, Jollyville Radio is set in the semi-fictional town of Jollyville, and it's full of fun, eccentric characters, and all of the small-town antics that they get into. They also take a segment in each episode to interview people in the real world doing things to help their communities. I think you might enjoy Jollyville, so check them out. And stay tuned, because I expect you'll hear more from them here, and more of me there. I think it's going to be entertaining. Now, if you're having fun listening to Fido, you should definitely subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. I'm on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Amazon. Don't forget to share and leave a review if you like what you're hearing. If you leave me comments or questions, I might even be able to read them on the air. You can also keep up and follow me on Facebook as well as Instagram. I'm at Fado Podcast. If you want to support me more directly, you can become a patron. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. There will be behind-the-scenes content, early access to upcoming episodes, and also merch. I have stickers, and if you become a patron, I can guarantee you one in your membership letter. That's right, I'll send you a personally handwritten note in the mail with a sticker. Also, if you join, you'll get a mention here on the show. That brings us to the end of episode 25. Watch for episode 26 coming out on October 28th. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you once upon a next time.